original investigators believe he murdered her. They yeah. just can't prove it. It's my first initial call to the private investigator working on my dad's case. My wife jumps up from the table and says, God, who is this man coming in the backyard? I divorced him because I couldn't trust him at all. He lied to me at the very beginning. He was living two separate lives. In the water about 30 yards away, and I identified it as it was a person. We're currently listening to season two of Ashes to Ash TV, What Happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld? Episode 11, Billboard. We pick up our conversation with Mark, Carolyn's twin brother. She had a way with people. People just loved her and liked her very much. She just had this energy in her that really people were attracted to. Meanwhile, in my hotel room, Okay, Brie left me a voice message, so I'm gonna give her a ring. She's got, she said a good idea, so we'll see what that's all about. Hey, Ash. Oh, hey, how's it going? Good. Good, I got your voice message. You said you had a good idea, I'd like to hear. Oh yeah, okay, so what do you think about posting a billboard down in Mobile and Perdido. Ooh. Is it crazy? It, oh, yes. It is a good idea. It is crazy. Uh, let me put some thought into that. We've never done that before, so let me think about if that we feel like that could get in more tips or have an impact on this case. Okay. I think that might be interesting, though. I'm definitely not against the idea, so I just need to put some thought into it. Okay. Awesome. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I'll let you know. So we head down to Pensacola. So this is our second time down in Pensacola. And then we're going over to Jules. And Jules is the homeowner who found Carolyn the Monday morning. So it must have been May 7th. I think he was saying it was around 8 a.m. Uh, we'll obviously talk to him further and find out exactly. <laughs> Mark explains. Yeah, I mean, it was it was in more shallow water. It was never really in deep water. We never really stopped in deep water. We would, you know, ride the boat in deep water, or uh, but we never swam in deep water. And Carolyn never did. Carolyn didn't. Carolyn didn't like deep water. I mean, she never even thought about jumping off a boat in deep water. I just never seen her do that. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me when you know he said to me, "Well, she jumped off the boat." in the middle of the inlet. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. She's she didn't like deep water, number one. Number two is we crossed the inlet on our kayaks and we knew the inlet had turbulent currents. I don't think that anyone would want to jump in water that they already knew had turbulent currents. Why would you do that? I mean, I don't understand that. My sister would never do something like that. She just never would. I've never seen her do it. and. My sister was always cautious. Of, I mean, like I told you, she took some risks on things, but she would never take a risk of jumping off the boat in the middle of an inlet where she knew that currents were, were, were unpredictable. I have never seen 
anybody swim in the middle of that bay. Anytime I've been there, I have never seen, I've seen people, you know, water ski, jet ski, but I've never seen anybody jump off a boat and go in the middle of the inlet. I've never heard of that. I met up with Jules who found Carolyn's body. Did you know someone had gone into the water or what was your knowledge? Do I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who lives on the other side of the bay. And he said there were police boats out and helicopter and knew there was something, somebody was reported lost. And he said, did anything going on over there? And I said, no. I said, I was gonna go kayaking, but the winds were a little strong out of the Northwest and I didn't really want to fight um, the winds. I decided to pull my kayak back in and forget about the evening. Mark, Carolyn's brother, says, I got a call at um, six o'clock in the morning, my time. It was Austin, her son, and he said, Mark, I got some, I got some terrible news to tell you. It's your sister. And I said, well, well, what's going on? He goes, she's dead, she drowned. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, it was, it was an accident. Chris and Carolyn were out boating and Carolyn evidently went swimming in the middle of the inlet and she drowned and Chris tried to save her. And I was like in shock. I, I just was in shock and kind of didn't know what to say at first. And then I started crying. I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, rule 101 is that you never leave your boat. Article of rules read, throw, don't go. Never jump in because a drowning person can accidentally pull their rescuers under with them. Tossing a life-saving device, rope, towel, or even pool noodle helps the drowning person without increasing risk to others. Um, I have a friend in California who's been on boats most of his life. I won't mention his name for the sake of this interview. But when I told him, he said, Mark, rule number one is you never leave your boat. If someone's in the water in distress, you either throw them a line, a flotation, or you right the boat around and you come up next to them. You start, if the boat's not started, you start the boat up, you bring the boat around, and you just come up next to them. And that's what you do. You never leave your boat. You never leave your boat. So they felt that, well, why did that person jump in without a flotation device or a vest or something and then have the boat drift away? To me, if someone is trained, has a training, and is Coast Guard, and does drug and addiction, special forces, has the qualifications, is a safety officer at the largest aluminum shipbuilding company in the world, goes on on sea trials, and then jumps off a boat with no preserver on and no flotation device, and lets a boat drift away, to me that doesn't make a lot of sense. Now I'm not there. And it's easy for me to talk right now. I can be devil's advocate here and give the sake of the doubt. It is my sister and lover, but also at the same time is I'm not there. And people do panic. I'm not saying that they don't. I mean, we all do as human beings. However, if someone is trained in that manner and in that fashion, just like what I do in medicine and in anesthesia, even if I'm out, if somebody, if I see somebody in distress, Let's say someone's choking in a restaurant. I'm just not gonna freeze and not do anything. I'm gonna try to do a Heimlich maneuver. I'm gonna try to open their airway. That's because I'm trained that way. I automatically know what I need to do. You understand? Based on training. And it doesn't matter where I am, I do it automatically. 
So I would think that someone who has that kind of background would also think in that manner too as well, irregardless if it's your loved one or not. Knowing you're in the middle of an inlet, you know you're far away from from shore. I would write the boat around and I would throw I would throw something immediately in the water. That's what I would do. And you see it in Hollywood movies too. When someone's in the water, what do they do? They throw a donut, right? Or they throw some kind of device in. They don't jump off a boat and try to rescue the person. Personally, to me, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense based on his background. My sister jumping off the boat, him jumping in after her and letting the boat drift away. No flotation device. Disregards all the rules that he was trained in, supposedly what he's trained in. I guess the next day they called me and told me that, that the body washed up on shore. Um, they didn't tell me where, but they just said the body washed up. They found her. On the phone with Bree, we continue talking about the billboard. We, uh, the billboard company sent me over the pricing and the locations of the billboards, and I think we can swing them. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought we could do one. But the billboard company thought our cause was so good that they discounted them by 50%. And so I think we can actually do two. Oh my God, that's amazing. Right? So now we just need to... Figure out where we want them. So she sent me a bunch of locations. And, but since I'm gonna see you here in just a few days, maybe I'll just bring the locations and we can try to decide what we wanna do. Okay, perfect. Meanwhile, with Jules, the gentleman who found Carolyn's body. So in the morning, I woke up and I heard a helicopter flying around and I was making coffee and I went out to the windows to take a look out at the bay, gorgeous morning, and I saw some, something that I was unfamiliar with over in the water about 30 yards away and I wasn't sure what it was. So I got my binoculars out and identified it as it was a person, um, a lady, and I called 911. Police came and probably Five to eight minutes they were here and the boats that were out there were fishing wildlife and they were looking for the lost person and she floated up right here and so they converged, the helicopter was here, the police came and then they started to take pictures and figure out how, with, how they were going to handle that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Mark continues to explain. I flew down there, I think within two to three days. Um, I remember how to get time, I had leave from work, and he told me when the, when the funeral was gonna be. When I arrived in the house, I wanted an explanation what happened, and he said to me right away, I killed your sister. I, I said, no you didn't, I said, you tried your best. He goes, well I didn't try hard enough, and then he, he started crying, and then he told me the story, what happened, that she jumped off the boat, he tried to go after her, um, thought he could reach her and then come back to the boat. I didn't say anything to him, but at the time, to me, that's, it sounded a little bit odd that initially I said, oh, it's not your fault, you know, that you jumped. But then I'm saying, why did you jump off the boat? I know to save her, but if she was, he, he said he was like, she was drifting away quickly, like 10 feet away. Well, if she's 10 feet away, why did you jump in? Why didn't you just throw her like a life jacket? There were four life jackets on the boat. That I know. Why didn't you throw her a life jacket? She could have put it on. And why didn't you ride the boat around and bring it around? Why did you jump in so quick? 
and then he's told me, well, that he turned away and that he was going to put down the ladder. Before he put down the ladder, she jumped off. To me, that didn't make a lot of sense because I've never seen my sister jump off a boat. She always would get off on the back of the boat, either on a ladder, or she'd make sure she was secure when she went off the boat. So why would she jump off? I don't understand why she, I've never seen her jump off a boat. To me, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. But I kind of put it behind me because my sister just died. It was, it was grief. You want to think best about somebody that they tried their best. I've known Chris a long time. He was very close to me. He was like a brother to me. You try to be empathetic and sympathetic to what happened that, yeah, he tried to save her and that, you know, he tried to do the right thing. And at the time, you really don't, you don't think about the possibility that something doesn't sound right. It sort of does, but then you kind of ignore it and you don't, you don't want to really believe it or you don't want to deal with it at the time because now you're dealing with your own feelings and emotions and you're trying to grieve for a person that you love so much and that it's been a big part of your life. She's my twin, you know, and we were very close. So, you know, I was more focused on grieving at the time. And then my brother came and he told my brother what happened as well. And he, you know, he told the story and, and um, you know, what happened. And then you know, he revealed to me th throughout the time I was there, you know, that he washed up on shore, that he got intubated. He told me that he floated Carolyn for two hours, that he, he, he kept her afloat. He floated her while he was floating for a couple of hours. And, he, he, and then a wave came along and she let go and then he was looking for her and he couldn't find her. And then so he decided to go into shore. He said he was trying to bring her in, but the current wasn't allowing him. I don't know what the conditions were that day. I have no idea. He also told me some kind of odd things too that I didn't think were kind of inappropriate, that um, my sister was cheating on him at the time, that she has in the past, that he had some financial debt, that he was in debt, that Karen didn't work for the last couple of years, and that financially he was strained. When I, we were gonna get clothes from my two nieces, he was gonna give uh, a credit card to them, and he said, um, he asked me, Mark, can you, can you cover this for me because I'm $20,000 at least in debt and um, can you help me out? And I said, sure. So I took the girls out and we went, we went shopping and we found clothes for her funeral. That was another thing that he revealed to me. He also revealed to me that he thought Carolyn and, and her friend Buddy were too close and that he didn't like that. I've always enjoyed Buddy. I thought Buddy was a great guy. Um, they had a very close relationship. They were like two kindred spirits. And, you know, Buddy was a big motorcycle rider and they would, they would go out and take trips. And he was very protective of Carolyn. He always treated her very kindly. He had a lot of respect for her. He always talked highly about Carolyn all the time. He enjoyed being around her and they knew a lot about motorcycles. But I think Chris never really liked that situation, but Carolyn kind of did what she wanted to do. And she really loved and cared about Buddy and she enjoyed riding with him. And so for her, I think that was a sense of enjoyment for her and she wasn't going to, you know, let Chris's discontent about that relationship spoil. I think she wanted that relationship with Buddy and, and she enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think she could confide in Buddy, in Buddy as well, confide in him. He was a good friend and he was a good listener. 
So, you know, he revealed a few things about that to me. And I thought that was kind of odd talking about my sister to me at her funeral. It just, it was just uncomfortable. I listened to him and um, he just told me that he found a knockoff phone in her motorcycle. Um, he told me that after the funeral. Um, I don't know why he told me that. Um, it was just little random things that he talked about that I felt like I wouldn't be talking to somebody about that at, at a funeral about your sister. But I kind of just brushed it aside and just listened. Uh, maybe he was trying to vent to me. You know, we were close. And maybe he, he felt comfortable telling me those things because I was very involved in their life. And, and he would talk to me about things occasionally, some things with, with my sister. And he would confide in me on some things, you know, your sister driving me crazy. And, you know, she did this or did that. And so I just listened. But I thought it was very odd. I don't know how you're really supposed to act at a funeral. I guess it's mixed. Some people, everyone deals with it differently in their own way. Um, but, but I thought he was, um, he was appropriate, how he dealt with things and people. And he knew a lot of the people there because they were mostly Karen's friends. Chris didn't have too many friends. He had some friends, mostly from work. But Karen had many friends throughout the community. I think at the funeral, he did mention afterwards and that Oh, he talked about being in therapy. He felt therapy wasn't helping at all. He said to me that one time in therapy, this is what Carolyn said, that when they went to marriage counseling, when they were, when evidently she had supposedly seen somebody else, that he had said to me that Carolyn goes, well, you should be used to it, Chris, because your ex-wife did that to you too. So I don't know. This is what she said. This is what he told me that she said. Now, I don't know if that's true or not in therapy. Who knows? But I thought that, again, that was kind of odd, him telling me this at my sister's funeral. Well, it's also kind of putting my sister in a bad light. I mean, nobody is an angel, by no means. We all make mistakes and stuff. But why are you telling me all this at, at a funeral when my sister's now dead? I, I, I don't understand that. that yeah. why, why are you talking to me about that? It was just, it was kind of these little bits and pieces of information that he was telling me about her and their life that I never knew. So I, I, don't, I don't know why he said those things to me. Maybe it was to get stuff off his shoulders. I just found it kind of odd. And then when you hear a story that he told me about being intubated, and then they found out he wasn't intubated, and then he had water in his lungs, and then he got discharged a day later. And all these little things, these variations and stories that are not really adding up kind of made me even more suspicious, like you could say, about that it just doesn't sound right. It just doesn't add up. So, yeah, there was, a, for many months, I had a, a very uneasy feeling about what happened, but I didn't know in what direction to go and I didn't know who I would talk to about it because I knew it was a sensitive subject. I certainly didn't want to talk to Chris about it and I wasn't sure about the kids because I knew it was hard on them as well. And so I kind of kept it to myself and just was hoping at some point someone would at least talk about it with me and someone did. And I, I said, yeah, I know. Um, I won't mention who it was. Someone text me in the family 
and said, I'm going to be doing something to bring attention to Carolyn. And I said, oh, I think I know what it is. And that person said, what? I said, about her death. They go, yeah. I say, sounds suspicious, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So finally, someone kind of corroborated my feelings as well, that something just didn't add up. It just didn't sound right. Giving everything, knowing my sister, being on a boat with her, kayaking with her, and knowing her personality and knowing what she did like or didn't like, it just didn't make sense to me at all. It was, um, it just didn't add up. It kind of validated to me that it's just, you know, I loved her and I was very close to her, she was my twin, that you're now seeing people who are kind of outside looking in and saying, well, wait a minute, something just doesn't add up either. So it kind of corroborates, number one, that you're not biased, the, that bias has now gone away. It's just like when you do a research study, right? You always worry about bias. So you do a sample study, right? You, you take a control group and a, a not control group, and then you look at the variations, right? Or the variables of that. So now that we have people now on the outside who you know, either don't know Carolyn or know her remotely, and then looking at it from the outside in, and also saying that something just doesn't add up, that kind of validates me and makes me feel a lot better that it's just not me. So to me, that, that was very important. And it, it made me feel a lot more comfortable that maybe we can really kind of find out what really happened to her. I want to know what happened. She was taken from me. That was my twin. That was my sister. I loved her very much. She died too young. Very too young. I mean, we did things together, Chris and I. I mean, he would build some stuff and I would help him or I'd, I would mow the lawn and, and help him with the yard work and stuff. And he was more of a brother to me, I hate to say it, than my own brother. I'm not very close with my brother. And so there was that, there was trust. And then when I'm now hearing things, it's, it's hurtful. You feel that, that there's something just not right. And this person that you have trusted and now you're finding out that the stories that they're telling you are not adding up. It's, it's kind of shocking. It takes you by surprise. You don't want to believe it at first, but then you know that there's still something wrong. Something just doesn't add up. And you have this feeling in your gut that something just doesn't sound right. And then you really, you want to know the truth, what's really going on. I was hoping to grow old and her to be in my life. Chris told me that she had, a, I think, a $300,000 insurance policy. He did mention it. I can't remember in what context we were talking about it, how it, how it came about, but I knew that he was going to distribute some of it to the kids. I knew he said that was his plan. He didn't talk a lot about it. I knew that he was gonna sell the house because he said he didn't want to be near the shore where she died anymore. I knew that he bought a house in Wisconsin and I assume he used some of that money from the insurance to, to buy that very shortly after my sister passed away. He said he had a partner. I said who that partner was. He said it was a woman and it was a friend. And he said he was gonna move to Wisconsin, away from Alabama because he wanted to be closer to family because that's where he grew up. I think he grew up in the UP, the Upper Peninsula. I don't know where the house was. I think he mentioned, but I can't remember what city it was in. But he said it was more of an investment 
and that his friend was part of that investment. I didn't ask what his relationship was. I knew it was a female because he said it was a woman um, that he's known. I don't know who the woman is. He never mentioned her name. Um, he never mentioned the kind of relationship that they had. He said they were friends and that he was going to live there part of the time and he was going to fly back to his job at Austell because he didn't want to leave Austell. He, he felt he had a good position there. So he was making good money and he, he liked it. And then after that, he told me that he sold the house in Wisconsin. And then he texted me again. And then he told me that he sent me a picture of a woman that he worked with. I think her name is Sarah, I believe. And he said he was starting to see another woman. He said that she was an engineer at work. Her name was Sarah and that they started going on on dates. Um, he said he didn't want to be alone for the rest of his life, which I thought was... Everyone deals with a spousal death differently. You know, they say, wait a year. I mean, that's, that's all very subjective, how people move on. I thought it was a little soon for him going out with somebody, but I could also understand that he was lonely and maybe he connected with this person that he worked with and it happens. And then he sent me some pictures of him and her. He seemed like he was happy, he was smiling. I saw him in a Halloween costume that he sent me. I saw two other pictures of them. Would appear to be they were on a date and they seemed to be smiling and feel very comfortable with each other. You know, I said, well, as long as you're happy, good for you. I didn't know what else to say. I, I didn't want to be you know, vindictive or say something to him that it's not really my business about his life. I, I, I can't judge him on that. You know, I felt if he's happy, then good for him. He's happy. But I thought it was a little soon for him to be in a relationship with somebody. But I didn't say much anymore. I just said, you know, good for you. And, you know, I'm glad you're happy. Back at the studio, I speak to Bree about the billboards. All right. So I'm going to show you the locations of the billboard. And we need to pick. So I narrowed it down to a couple. And maybe you can help me. Okay. Okay. So I was thinking that we should put them in places where we could get tips in. Okay. Because I think that's what we need is people who are familiar with the case or knew Carolyn or know Chris. Okay. So, so here's the five locations. And one that I for sure want to do is this one, which is Interarity Point. And that's, right? That's perfect. Yeah. That we have the people who found the boat, found Carolyn's body, and then where Chris came up. So I kind of feel like that's a big area where people are familiar with it. So what about these other locations? Do you see anything? I mean, you know the area better. Okay, so this one might be perfect because my dad will probably actually see it on his drive to work every day. Wow, and do you think, so even more importantly, do you think the rest of the employees go by that? Absolutely. Because there, I mean, we've had quite a few employees already reach out with information, and I think that could tip off more that haven't that don't know i think there's probably a lot of Austin employees that know about what we're doing but in case they don't i think that one would be in a prime area because i feel like everybody would see it mark explains he sent me another text not too long after that that he purchased a house in wilmer alabama he sent me the whole mls profile it's a beautiful custom-made house he told me it was three hundred thousand dollars on five acres with a pond he said it was stocked with bass and bluegill. It's, it's beautiful. The pictures are sorry, it's just, it's gorgeous. 
And then he told me that his girlfriend, Sarah, moved in with him and she has two kids. And actually one's really young. Maybe she's got three, I'm not sure. One is very young age, like a year, maybe less. And he thought it was the greatest thing. He said, you know, it's great waking up and greeting those kids in the morning and it's just really something. But he seemed quite happy and um, we really didn't talk about Carolyn. He talked about more about his relationship and with this this woman and how happy he was and her kids and they were in, engaged to get married, but they weren't gonna get married right away. Or, And I just thought that that's really kind of kind of fast. I was also told that none of the kids received any compensation from the life insurance policy. I assumed that he spent that money on that house. I don't know, but I was kind of surprised since he told me originally that he was gonna distribute it among the kids, some of it at least. Again, kind of things have shifted or changed. Um, I remember one time I talked with my sister's daughter and I got very tearful with her and she was tearful on the phone too. And then I got a call from Chris telling me, you know, if you call them again, the kids don't want you to be upset and crying. You know, it bothers them a lot. Well, I felt that was kind of odd telling me that. I just lost my sister like three months ago and you're telling me this is what the kids are saying? Well, they're not saying it to me, they're saying it through him. So I don't understand, why are you telling me that? It was kind of hurtful actually. Yeah, I'm gonna be a little bit tearful and stuff talking about her. I just lost my sister, what do you expect? So I, I felt a little bit kind of hurt hearing that from him, but I was also a little bit upset with the kids too because no one called me or said that to me and I wish they would have. If it is upsetting, then let me know. But I'm hearing it from him. And so why is he telling me this when they're grown adults and they can certainly either say something to me, right? It's sort of like he's the messenger. That, that I didn't kind of understand if, you know, they're in their late 20s. I don't think they're immature. I think they still have to experience life, you know, as they grow naturally, we all do. But I just thought that was kind of odd. A lot of things just don't kind of make sense here. There's a lot of inconsistencies in stories and explanations and background and I don't know, it just, there's a lot, a lot of unanswered questions and it's a little bit confusing because it seems to be changing. On some level, it's like he's trying to tarnish Carolyn's pers personality. I mean, nobody's perfect and people do certain things in their life that they make certain decisions about but at the same time, it's like saying negative things about someone who's just passed away, it's kind of insensitive. And to me, it just doesn't really, it's not appropriate. It's sort of like trying to influence somebody to think a certain way about that person and to kind of make them look bad in a certain light to try to maybe, I don't know, maybe tip it toward, toward your ideas to be more sympathetic to that person. I don't know, I don't know, but that, that's my take on it, more or less. We were successful in getting the billboards put up that said, what happened to Carolyn Blankenfeld on Ashes to Ash? Bree and I couldn't help but pose in front of them. 
Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino, associate producer Kay Girodano, special guest Bree, interviewee Jules, Mark, technical swimmer Victoria Gockler, crew members Cole Ellers and Montania Samuels, music score David Patino. To subscribe, please go to ashes to ash tv.com, A-S-H-E-S-T-O-A-S-H-T-V.com. If you know of any illegal activity regarding this case, please reach out to your local law enforcement. If you have a tip or information you'd like to give us and you want to remain anonymous, please send us an email at ashland57 at gmail.com, A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. To follow us on Facebook, please go to Ashes to Ash True Crime on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Ashes to Ash TV.